Hello, and welcome to The Minds of Monsters, a true crime podcast discussing old crimes, new crimes, but always true crimes. So today I will be covering the case of the Black Dahlia. Her name is Elizabeth Short. This has been the case that I've been wanting to cover for a while now. And actually one of the cases that actually got me into true crime in the first place. So I was really interested to cover this one. Um, So let's get right into it. Elizabeth Short was born on July 29, 1924, in Boston, Massachusetts, to Cleo Alvin Short, Jr. and his wife, Phoebe May Sawyer. Elizabeth was the third of five daughters. Her father was a U.S. Navy sailor, and her mother was a housewife until 1930, when Elizabeth's father's car was found abandoned on the Charleston, Charlestown Bridge, and he was assumed to have ended his own life by jumping off the bridge. Elizabeth's mother started a bookkeeping job to support her family, believing her husband to be dead. At 15, Elizabeth underwent lung surgery due to having dealt with bronchitis and severe asthma attacks. The doctor suggested she periodically relocate to a milder climate to prevent further respiratory problems. So for the next three years, her mother sent her to live in Florida with family friends in the winters. Elizabeth dropped out of school her sophomore year. In late 1942, Elizabeth's mother received an apology letter from her husband, who she thought was dead, telling her he started a new life in California. So the December after Elizabeth turned 18 in 1942, She went to Vallejo, California to live with her father, who she hadn't seen since she was six. However, that didn't last as she moved out January 1943 due to arguments between the two. See, when she moved in, he expected her to, you know, maintain the house and whatnot. Um, you know, cook, clean, maintain the house, and instead of doing that, she would she would go out, or you know, she just wouldn't do what was expected of her. So she ended up moving out. After moving out of her father's house, she took a job at the base exchange at Camp Cook, which is now the Vandenberg Space Force Base near Lompoc, California. She briefly lived there with an Air Force sergeant who reportedly abused her. In mid-1943, she left Lompoc and moved to Santa Barbara, where she was arrested for underage drinking and sent back to Massachusetts. She didn't stay there long, however, but went back to Florida, only visiting her family near Boston occasionally. While Elizabeth was in Florida, she met Major Matthew Michael Gordon Jr., it's a long name, who was a decorated Army Air Force officer of the 2nd Air Command Group who was training who was training for deployment to Southeast Asian Theater for World War II. 
Elizabeth later told friends Gordon proposed to her and she accepted, but he died in his second crash on August 10, 1945. In July of 1946, Elizabeth relocated to Los Angeles to visit an acquaintance by the name of Joseph Gordon Fick Ficking. Ficking, who was an Air Force lieutenant. While in L.A., Elizabeth worked as a waitress, but was also an aspiring actress. On January 9, 1947, Elizabeth went home after a trip to San Diego with a man named Robert Manley, who went by Red. He was a 25-year-old married salesman who, had been, who she had been dating. He stated later that he dropped her off at the Biltmore Hotel, and she was later seen at the Crown Grill Cocktail Lounge, which was only three-eighths of a mile from the Biltmore. Unfortunately, that was the last time she was seen alive. On January 15, 1947, a woman who was walking with her two-year-old daughter in Leimert Park in Los Angeles found Elizabeth's naked body which was completely cut in half. She had been completely drained of blood. The medical examiner determined she was dead around 10 hours prior to having been found. Her body had also been washed. Her face was cut from the corners of her mouth to her ears, giving her what's known as the Glasgow smile. She also had several cuts on her thigh and breasts where chunks of flesh were sliced away. The lower half of her body was a foot away from the upper half with her intestines tucked under her butt. Her body was also posed. Her hands were over her head, bent into right angles, and her legs were spread. She also had a game of tic-tac-toe carved into her body. The autopsy report stated there were ligature marks around her ankles, wrists, and neck. Her body being severed in half had been done post-mortem. Her cause of death was determined to be hemorrhaging from several blows to the head and face, as well as lacerations to her face. The medical examiner also believed she may have been sexually assaulted, but no traces of semen were found on her. Elizabeth's fingerprints, having been in the system from her arrest in 1943, made it easy for police to identify her. Immediately after the identification, reporters from William Randolph Hearst's Los Angeles Examiner contacted her mother in Boston, telling her that Elizabeth had won a beauty contest. It wasn't until the reporters pried as much information from Elizabeth's mother that they told her Elizabeth had been murdered. They also told her that they would pay her airfare and other accommodations if she would come to Los Angeles to help the police with her daughter's case, but they again lied to her and kept her away from the police to protect their scoop. The Examiner and the Herald Express sensationalized the case and described the black tailored suit she had been last seen in as a tight skirt and sheer blouse. The media nicknamed her the Black Dahlia and would describe her as an actress who prowled Hollywood Boulevard 
The LA Times deemed it to be a sex fiend slaying. On January 21st, 1947, a person claiming to be Elizabeth's killer made a call to James Richardson's office, who was the editor for the Examiner. The caller congratulated James on the coverage of Elizabeth's case and stated he intended to turn himself in and let the once he let the police pursue him further. He also told Richardson to expect some souvenirs of Beth Short in the mail. Those were his exact words. On January 24th, a suspicious manila envelope was discovered. It was addressed to the Los Angeles Examiner and other Los Angeles papers. Each individual word was cut and pasted from newspaper clippings. A large message on the front of the envelope read, Here's the Dahlia's belongings. The envelope contained Elizabeth's birth certificate, business cards, photographs, names written on pieces of paper, and an address book with the name Mark Hansen on the cover. The packet was carefully cleaned with gasoline, but despite that, the police were able to pull a few partial fingerprints. However, the prints became compromised in transit. On March 14th, an apparent suicide note was found in a shoebox in a pile of men's clothes at the Ocean's Edge at the end of Breeze Avenue in Venice. The note read, To whom it may concern, I have waited for the police to capture me for the Black Dahlia killing, but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in, so this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself for that or this. Sorry, Mary. Police quickly named Mark Hansen to be a suspect. According to one of Elizabeth's friends, he made sexual advances towards Elizabeth, but she turned him down, giving the police his potential motive. But he was cleared after passing multiple polygraphs. The police interviewed 150 men in the following weeks whom they believed to be potential suspects. After the police posted a $10,000 reward for information, leading the police to the killer, many people made false confessions. Several of those false confessors were charged with obstruction of justice. On January 26th, another letter was delivered to the examiner. This time it was handwritten, and it read, Here it is, turning in Wednesday, January 29th, 10 a.m. Had my fun with at police. Black Dahlia Avenger. The police waited at the location, the note said, but the killer did not show. Instead, at 1 p.m., the examiner received another cut-and-paste letter, which read, Have changed my mind. You would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified. During interviews, an acquaintance of Elizabeth told officers that she liked to get guys worked up but she'd leave them hanging dry, which is a direct quote. This made police believe Elizabeth was a lesbian and questioned employees and visitors of gay bars, but nothing came from it. The Herald Express continued to receive letters regarding Elizabeth's death, one of which said, I will give up on the Dahlia killing if I get 10 years. Don't try to find me. 
On February 1st, the Los Angeles Daily News reported that the case had run into a stone wall, was their exact quote. But they kept running stories on the investigation. When interviewed, lead investigator Captain Jack Donahue told the press he believed Elizabeth's murder had taken place at an abandoned building or remote place and she was dumped in the city. The LAPD looked into the possibility of the murderer being a doctor doctor or surgeon, but nothing came from their background checks on students at, at the University of Southern California Medical School. Many people made false confessions, including a man named Dan, who's la who later recanted his story and confession, saying he was mentally unwell. Another suspect that came to light was a Hollywood doctor named George Hodel. A tip was given to the police that Elizabeth had been seen with George many times at his parties, which were known to be shady. The police looked into George and found that he was accused of sexually assaulting his 14-year-old daughter. She became pregnant and he attempted to perform an abortion on her, which was unsuccessful. He was later charged, but even though he was guilty, the charges didn't hold. The police ended up bugging his house one night, and the police hear a woman scream twice, so the police go to check it out and don't find anything. Police later hear him talking on the phone, something about putting a pillow over her face and covering her with a blanket, were his exact words. After some time passed, they heard George say, Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. And that's a direct quote. His secretary had just died of an overdose at the time. The police were able to collect enough evidence to charge George with Elizabeth's murder, but by the time they went to arrest him, he'd fled the U.S., George's son believed it was his father that killed Elizabeth, and even wrote a book about it. He also believed George killed many more, and even had his father's yard tested for human remains in 2013, and it came back positive. The case did end up going cold until November 24, 1950, when a woman named Christine Reynolds came forward and confessed to Elizabeth's murder. She was the 27th person to confess to Elizabeth's murder, but she had one detail that wasn't linked to the public, leaked to the public. She told police she and Elizabeth were in a love affair around the time of her murder, but also that Elizabeth was also cheating on her with another woman. Then she told the police about how they got into an argument and that she began to choke Elizabeth on their drive home. After she had found Elizabeth with the other woman. Elizabeth got out of the car and so did she. And she told police that she ran up behind Elizabeth and held her in a chokehold. She then told them she remembered she had a knife on her and began stabbing Elizabeth. Now the detail Christine had wasn't public knowledge, was 
and now this is a direct quote, sorry, it's a gross direct quote, but it's a direct quote. She cuts some of her blank damn hair off and shoved it up her effing pussy. As it turns out, one of the officers that was Christine's girlfriend told Christine about the hair detail. The police asked her why she falsely confessed, and she had told them she was blackout drunk one night and woke up the next morning to find herself covered in blood. Thinking she killed someone, she went to the police, but they didn't take her seriously. Now, unfortunately, Elizabeth Short's case remains unsolved. But many suspect the Cleveland torso killer was responsible. The cases were linked due to the similar way of the bodies being cut in half. Investigators do believe the Cleveland torso killer moved out west and that Elizabeth was their last victim. On February 2nd, 1947, which was two weeks after Elizabeth's death, C. Don Field, a California Republican state assemblyman, was prompted by the case to introduce a bill forming the Sex Offender Registry. Due to this, California would become the first state to make registration of sex offenders mandatory, which I think is absolutely huge. And it's devastating that it took something so brutal to happen for that to become mandatory, but I am glad that it is now mandatory. Um, and it is cool to know that California was the first state to make it mandatory. Now, I know that was a bit of a short one, and I know I do talk a little fast, um, but that is as far as we know about the case of Elizabeth Short, also known as the Black Dahlia. Many people do believe that it was George Hodel, and some even believe that George Hodel was the Cleveland torso killer, which could be far-fetched, could be not, you know, we don't know, and with the case having been cold for as many years as it has been, that could have honestly been the case. And since the Cleveland Torso Killer did possibly move out west, that could have been their last victim, um, whoever it was. So in that case, thank you for listening today. Um, I know it was a bit of a short one. Um, if you would like me to cover more cold cases, let me know. I will do a poll on that as well. Um, or if you want me to do more, you know, up-and-coming cases, uh, like the Chad Dorman case I did a while back, a little while back, um, that one is still, you know, ongoing. And obviously we know who did it and whatnot, but the trial is still ongoing. So once that... Um, once that one is, once the trial is done and all of that has been confirmed, I will come back on and probably do a really short episode just to, you know, fill in all the details and uh, let you know what came of that case, which they are, like I said, in that episode, they are trying to pursue the death penalty. Um, but anyway, thank you for listening to today's case. I greatly appreciate the continued support and the continued listening. 
Um, I would greatly appreciate it if you could like, follow, rate, do all the things for the podcast. I'd greatly appreciate it. Um, and the same for Instagram. Um, so thank you for listening today and have a great day.